0: This podcast is sponsored by Mysis. Mysis is at the forefront of the financial software industry, providing the broadest portfolio of banking, capital markets, investment management, and risk solutions available on the market. With more than 2000 customers in 130 countries, Mysis's team of domain experts, combined with the partner ecosystem, have an unparalleled ability to address industry requirements at both global and local level. To learn more about how the Mysis Fusion software portfolio, including Fusion Capital and Fusion Risk, can deliver a holistic view of your operations and help you to solve your most complex challenges, you can visit www.mises.com. Hello and welcome to a DerivSource Source podcast. I'm Julia Schiefer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. The Basel Committee's proposed consultation on the fundamental review of the trading book, or BCBS 265, outlines a revised market risk framework in response to the financial crisis of 2008. Specifically, BCBS 265 proposes revisions to both the use of internal models and standardized approaches to managing capital and risk types, but some of the newly proposed practices have come under scrutiny from the industry. In this DerivSource podcast, we speak to Marcus Cree, Risk Specialist at MISIS, about the proposed risk management changes and in particular how Treasurers are reworking Treasury operations to bolster risk mitigation and gain greater operational efficiency. Tune in to this interview to hear more about how Treasury optimization can be achieved in conjunction with compliance with BCBS 265. Welcome to the podcast, Marcus.
1: Thank you uh, for having me.
0: What are the elements of BCBS 265 which are problematic from the view of market participants and why?
1: The main issue appears to be the perception of an increased risk of, of market illiquidity. Now, this is really due to the changes in the capitalization rules. Specifically around some of the securitization, capitalization that's coming through, that's seen as particularly problematic. Most of the commentary coming back from the banks are looking for more time and more impact analysis on these because clearly if the capitalization goes up, then that has a significant impact on the warehousing and just the way the market and the structure of the market works. There's certainly concerns about the introduction of the liquidity horizons and the change to the expected shortfall, not so much in either of those things being bad in and of itself. It's just that the calibrations of the models and the hypothetical portfolio test hasn't necessarily been seen as exhaustive. And a lot of banks are seeing those tests as too limited in scope and they are concerned and there is a general market concern about the possibility of the unintended consequences proving to be quite costly and difficult to unwind.
0: What is the biggest change proposed by the revised framework?
1: At a very high level, the committee is looking to significantly simplify the rules. They're doing this really with a view to reducing cross-jurisdictional and that's a, a laudable aim, and one which is, I think, broadly welcomed by market participants and certainly uh, the vendor community. Uh, if you can take away the differences that occur uh, between jurisdictions, significantly uh, makes the risk process a better one within these organizations. That aim, though, has also created a potentially larger operational burden. And there have been some changes already made through the commentary over the last couple of years to make that changeover a little bit easier. Probably the the biggest change they've made as an example of that is that they've allowed or or switched to a sensitivity-based methodology in the revised standardized approach away from the pure cash flow uh, methodology, which was quite heavily criticized in the commentary initially. So that really is. It's a significant change for Basel, I think, to look at the market and say where do our organisations have issues and take on that cross-jurisdictional challenge. That really is at a high level, a kind of a meta level, if you like. On the more practical level, the the largest change is the sort of much-awaited change to to expected shortfall, and that's coming along. At the same time as the introduction of liquidity horizon, this is for the internal models approach. Now, this is very significant because what we're now dealing with is the extremes of the tail and averaging out all of those extremes. This is the tail of the the distribution of potential outcomes that starts to actually inform the the capitalization level. And moving away from a single point, a 99%, point, say, which is a couple of standard deviations away from the middle, and actually averaging out the back end of that tail, that that could have some interesting impacts, particularly when we couple it with the liquidity horizons, and this is where there's a number of horizons which get allocated, and there's all sorts of rules which they are building into the the process to net things down and, and look at residual effects using those liquidity horizons. This change is what's causing you know, some concern because of how much testing is perceived to have been going on. And obviously, the real concern is that this will significantly increase the capitalization again. That's very important in the way the market works because obviously, it's going to tie up a lot of the tier one and reduce the kind of risk-taking activities of the organizations and and therefore could significantly hit their profitability.
0: How will BCBS 265 impact Treasury departments from both a risk management and operational perspective? Can you give us some details here?
1: Operationally, there's going to be a lot to do. The new rules, even though they've been simplified, there's new models being introduced. There's a whole bunch of new of sequences and buckets that things fall into which affect their risk weighting. And if we, again, sort of return to the liquidity horizons for a second, as they currently stand and with their various sort of nuances, the way they get scaled and the way they get flawed when you're you're talking about correlated risk factors, this is an operational challenge of an almost unprecedented type. In the past, when, when rules have come through, they tended towards being incremental, or almost completely on the side. The draft rules as they stand are also asking for an on-demand service of the standardized results. This disappears sort of in, I think it's Annex 1 of the last commentary. And this is also pretty important because it means that the aggregation point and the process that a bank or financial institution goes through in order to generate its risk results has now got to be put into a significantly upgraded infrastructure. Pushback on the cash flow valuation model is a bit of a, an illustration of this. One of the points which has been made is that whilst these firms will use cash flow models to price things in the front office, they don't always push all those cash flows through to where the risk gets aggregated. Now, if you sort of look at this as a whole and the on-demand service with all of these new sort of buckets and and risk-weighted techniques, what's actually been asked is a a far greater degree of data centralization and, and data aggregation to get that through and to make all of that possible. So operationally, I think this really can't be underestimated. On the risk management side, things become very interesting because clearly the burden of the specific new calculations, the capitalization, are going to fall in the risk area. These include things like the GIRR, that's the General Interest Rate Risk, uh, there's a credit spread risk, the FX fee commodity risks. Now, some of these are really Leveraged versions of what's gone before. But as we now have to put things in their appropriate liquidity buckets and look at the netting between what's correlated and what isn't, there is a quantitative aspect which needs to be digested and built in. So it's really the crossover point of the operational and the quantitative and sort of the pure risk management side that we're going to see there. Most importantly, however, I think, will be the impact on the actual profitability and how risk management can play a part in that. As we mentioned, there's a sort of a growing and a constant concern across the market that the proposed rules could see another quite significant rise in capital charges. And if this happens, there's potentially two concerns which spin off of that. The first is that Treasury will have to start looking at at optimizing that number to keep the burden as as small as possible. You really have to keep the the, the capital levels as close to the minimums as possible. But then there's also the the overall market liquidity and how that might decrease as a result of those capitalization levels and the impact that it has on the business. Now, this means that the liquidity stress testing, which sits at at the heart of the treasury, may have to be rethought in order to really take account of what can happen with increasingly illiquid markets in times of stress and also where the additional sources, alternative funding can come through. Because many of the stress testing runs the treasury wall put through the system don't necessarily just use up the tier one capital as it's specified but actually look for alternate sources, often contracyclical sources, in order to be fully covered from a kind of a prudential risk management perspective. So all of that's going to be impacting the way that Treasury does its business, both operationally and from a risk management perspective.
0: How are Treasurers looking to comply with BCBS 265, if they are even yet? And what are the challenges that they face in doing so?
1: It's an interesting question because at the moment, we are in the commentary period with the final draft supposedly due out uh, later this year. There's a process that happens with this. You can't really begin to start building out infrastructure until there's a firm idea of, of how it rests. Now you could take the view that, okay, we know pretty much what it is. It's kind of got its shape and its form and everything else is going to be a tweak. And certainly, some of the treasuries are at the very least taking stock of their infrastructure as they stand to see what might need to be done in order to comply when the time comes. But whenever you see significant changes to capital regulations, there's always a couple of key risks. The first, of course, is that non-compliance just isn't an option. And because it's not an option, compliant failure actually becomes a risk to the firm in itself. And that falls on the treasury departments and the risk management departments to make sure that that gets done. What this does, this puts the focus of those departments on compliance with these new rules. Now, whether you're on the standardized approach or the internal models approach, then if your focus is complying with that, you you see it happen when you speak to the treasurers and the risk managers, But there is a real concern that the focus on the firm's actual liquidity, the risk management on the firm's activity as opposed to the regulatory risk management and just staying in business, that can wane a little bit. And that's quite a concern to the people in charge of both the treasuries and the risk departments, the risk oversight committees. So are they looking at dealing with it? I think they are. I think they're looking with the larger institutions, You're seeing a data aggregation anyway. You know, if you think about BCBS 239, for instance, a lot of the larger institutions have already got programs which are pushing that forward. And that kind of data aggregation will be exactly what's needed here and will be leveraged here. The calculations and and where the, the new buckets and the new liquidity rules can be, as in the liquidity horizon rules, of course, where they can be inserted into the current infrastructure, that's being looked at. There's many people I've spoken to who are actively looking at building, at starting the building work.
0: In your view, Marcus, does BCBS 265 present an opportunity to Treasures and how they operate going forward?
1: Actually, I, I really do believe that. In the same way that regulatory compliance becomes the key risk faced by the bank. It's also true that any kind of uh, paradigm shift creates an opportunity for a properly transformative project to be undertaken. And it's here where I see there being significant positives. The first one I would say is data centralization. That's a good thing. It's a good thing in, in for the sort of best practice in, in, in the bank. And as we just spoke about, a lot of that is going on with 239 rules already. But this will really push that forward because they are sort of more guidelines to be interpreted, whereas this is now a uh, necessary calculation. I also think that the, the idea of cross-jurisdiction um, harmonization and just an overall simplification of the standardized rules can actually be seen as a, a real foundation for treasurers to build on and to create a, a kind of a risk core within the institution. And that can actually produce really effective treasury optimization program. If you think about what optimization is, it's actually quite difficult to put a, a thing like a, an optimization program into practice unless you've got all that data in place and unless there's an imperative across the organization to make sure the quality of the data that's coming in is well-maintained. In the past, for that reason, it's, it's actually been pretty difficult to properly manage the intraday and end-of-day liquidity. But and as the regulations have been drip-fed into the system, there's been a lot of kind of building out on, on the side few more spreadsheets here and there. But this program and this more sort of holistic way of, of re-looking at the capitalization, re-looking at how that, the capital stored, looked at the different tiers, how that plays into liquidity, I think it can give the treasurers a real shot at treasury optimization because it's far more central. It's a far more natural byproduct of what's actually being proposed here. And of course, from a mysis perspective, this type of risk management with liquidity as the driving force and the treasurer wanting a stress-based system of, of outcomes and contingency plans. Well, really, that's the main conversation that we in general have with treasury departments. And most of what I can pick up from those conversations about the attitude towards you know, this particular raft of changes coming in, most of the treasurers see this as a, as a fairly viable time to build that optimization program and build that really robust liquidity planning program as a result of putting this into place.
0: And final question, Marcus, what is treasury optimization really and truly mean, at least in your
1: view? Treasury optimization, I would define it as as the process of maximizing returns via the proper use and allocation of capital. This means more than just running to capital minimums, but rather I see it as taking a holistic view of Treasury's role in the overall profitability of the firm. And one feature of the recent regulatory changes is the amount of tier one capital that's been increased. Now, we can look at that from any jurisdiction's point of view, it's broadly true everywhere. But one feature of it is that what counts as tier one capital has been fairly heavily prescribed within each jurisdiction. This leaves the possibility that the capital itself can actually become less liquid or even subject to government action. Things like debt swaps, haircuts, so debt forgiveness, whilst it's not a thing that your average Wall Streeter or or London banker would think of when they're looking at, at their capital. It's not as uncommon as people think. You know, any look over the last few years and you will actually see that those types of things happen from Russia in the 90s to very recently, even the Jamaican government had two debt swaps where they changed their short-term debt and they exchanged it for long-term debt. And the long-term debt, they then didn't count as part of the capitalization, uh, the tier one capitalization. Things like that can happen, and that really does represent a threat to the firms which are affected by it. Now, because of that and because of how the banks are running now with the amount of capital and the type of capital, the liquidity risk management is even more of a balancing act than it's uh, previously been, and it's always really been such a thing. Where the treasurer needs to look at the available capital, needs to assess the market activity, and what potential interventions they can make as a department in order to secure alternative funding. That could be repoing certain parts of a book. It could be um, looking at longer-term projects, uh, using derivatives in the context of switching out uh, the funding from some projects, uh, using sort of basis-type derivatives or or time-based derivatives. I mean, really what we're talking about is contingency planning in its truest sense. It's not just about having a big bucket of cash and saying, okay, that my contingency plan is sitting in that bucket. It's really more about running the various stress tests and there's got to be a few. And understanding, if you like, it's like trash testing a bank in many ways. In fact, I think that's probably the best way of of thinking about it. I can run my ratios and my gap analysis, but an optimized treasury, is one where they understand what the crash test limitations are for the various scenarios that could occur. And they can worsen those scenarios. So you can say, I have a base state. And then in any given direction of market tightening, loosening, rates going up, down, this is the extent to which we can survive. And what I'm looking for in my stress test is to really find the point that we can no longer survive where there isn't a, an intervention that the treasurer can make. There isn't a, an amount of capital that will cover it. Because what that tells me is, you know, is that the risk horizon that I want to exist in? I know where I pass. I know where I pass. I know where that stress test actually does kill us. Now, it might be something unfeasibly you know, strange in, in terms of market activity. But it's still important to know, as I say, with all the, the capital levels the way they are, In my view and in MISIS's view, I think that's what we see as a treasury being properly optimized.
0: Thank you to Marcus Crete of MISIS for sharing his insight with us in this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, please register for our upcoming treasury optimization webinar to be hosted live on September 2nd, 2015. Details can be found on the podcast notes page along with the transcript of this audio interview. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.